0: Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, back from another podcast for The Knockdown and Golf.com. As always, I'm delighted to be joined by my esteemed colleague, Michael Bamberger. Uh, Michael, thanks for doing this.
1: Alan, good to be with you again. <laughs> Across well, miles.
0: Oh Yes, many miles. We've been podcasting our butts off lately, um, but the US Open is upon us and um, it's certainly worthy of its own standalone discussion. So let's Let's just dive in. Um, there, as you know, there's been so much noise around the USGA and the Open. It, it's always a backdrop issue, kind of carping about about the blue coats and the setup. But the last few years, it's just reached a fever pitch. Um, I'm wondering, Michael, what what is your the state of the USGA in your minds, and and what is the larger meaning of this particular Open?
1: Well, I you know it's interesting. The whole thing is interesting, and one of the things that's been interesting to me has been your response to it because you and I are the same. We want these players to be open with us and open with the public. We think it makes we think it's appropriate. It makes the world a more interesting place. But I was very interested to see just last week on our our PGA Tour Confidential or Sunday Night uh, uh, Discussion Group. Uh, you basically taking the position of uh, enough with the carping. So, so maybe may a good starting place here for people to get people up to speed who may not be is what, what is it that some of the players have been saying and why do you feel that it's been, been over the top or maybe too much?
0: Well, first of all, I'd like to point out if anybody is listening to this podcast, they're certainly up to speed. This is the lunatic fringe of golf fans who are tuning in right now, but um, we'll, we'll, I'll indulge you, Michael. I mean, it, there's, there's no question the USGA has screwed up, over and over again, but it was, it was well chronicled at the time. There's, there's, like we're, we're still, we're still relitigating what happened in 2010 at Pebble Beach and at Chambers Bay and at Oakmont. I, I feel like I've been talking about these things for a decade because I have. Um,
1: Wait, was UN, 2010 yeah. Pebble Beach just to bring it back to Pebble Beach? Was that considered a USGA screw up? I, I don't remember it that way
0: well the greens were really really iffy very bumpy very spiked up they just they they pushed the greens to the edge they looked terrible on tv they didn't putt true you know tiger made some comments about it among others and then a, it was not entirely the usda's fault but the, the some of the green contours had become too extreme over the years especially on 17 I mean, nobody could hit the 17th green it was so brick hard and yeah, I mean guys were aiming for the front bunker because they they right. couldn't hold the green. Um they they since yeah, yeah. I mean 14 there was some setup problems on 14. Um there was some issues on 13. So some of these were it was just Pebble Beach gets a ton of play. It's this, you know, you splash out of bunkers 400 golfers a day. The, the the mounds and the slopes build up over time and they hadn't they hadn't been properly addressed, but you know the USGA comes in takes control of the golf course i mean they could have they could have identified these problems before the tournament and reshaped some of the greens you know 2 years out and it's now been done you know 13 14 and 17 have all been redone since 2010 some of the some of the extremities have been have been smoothed over and the the putting surface has been enlarged to allow for more pins so that shouldn't be an issue but for sure there was there was complaints about about what happened in 2010. We know about Marion. We know we know about all that's these. Right. Yeah. So, I, I I like we get it. And now, yes, as you say, we want we want candor and we want critique from the players and that's totally valid. But now it's just piling on it feels like. And you know, the Golf Digest story with 57 anonymous sources, it was it was a fun read, no question, but I think it just is like page after page of, of these guys just opening a vein. And it it's just, and of course, it's, it's not just that one particular story that this is, you know, what Phil just said about the USGA at the Memorial. Um, it, it's like, okay, we get it guys. You don't like the USGA, but the, um, the fact is I would still rather have the blue coat to be stewards of the game than PGA tour players and the PGA tour. Cause They, the tour exists only to put money in the pockets of the players. And that's really all they care about with a little window dressing towards charity. They're not thinking about the the game as a whole and especially not the amateur player. Uh, So bottom line is I still would rather have the USGA in charge than, than any other entity, but they need to do better. Yes. Does this need to drown out the entire run up to the U S open? No, that's kind of my feeling, but what are your thoughts? It's
1: interesting. I mean, you know, if if you look at Tiger's comment, it, it's, it's understandable why we would say, you know, the players are piling on now. But if we look at just what Tiger said, what Rory said, and what Phil said, they actually are quite different in, in the general category of making a statement and complaining about USGA setups of US Opens. Yes, they're all in that category. But there was a level of nuance to what Rory said and what Tiger said that was totally, completely missing from what, what Phil said. I'm just curious to know your feeling about why do you think, you know, of course, Rory and Tiger have won U.S. Opens, and Phil famously, of course, has not. He's got six runner-up runner finishes. Why do you think Phil said what he said, Alan, and how, if at all, do you think that's going to possibly make him in a better position to do the thing he most wants to do in his career right now, which is of course win the U S open and complete the career grand slam. I
0: mean, maybe he thinks it's it's a preemptive shot across the bow and to the setup guys. Like just don't, maybe that'll force him to back off by half a foot on the stip meter, you know, having Phil's comments ringing in their ears. Maybe it's just him trying to get the frustration out ahead of time, as opposed to in the middle of the third round, like we saw at Shinnecock. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Phil's a calculating guy. He rarely opens his mouth without an agenda. So I think perhaps he he thinks he can, he can control the setup with his mouth. I, I don't know. I, it it was really kind of out of left field, but um, in the context of he's at the Memorial and it's, it's a very stately event and nothing, there'd been no news break to prompt him to go off like that. But I, I think it's, and of course we have a parallel podcast that's, you and I are big voices on that, um, that our colleague, Sean Zock has, has steered through. It's a two-parter all going very deep on, on Phil and, and the U S open and, and we get into all these things. Uh, so uh, it, everyone has an agenda, right? And I, I like what, I like what Tiger said is, you know, it was just bring back the old setups. You know, Mike Davis went to the graduated rough around 2006. And it made sense in theory should should a drive that's that t- that's two yards off the fairway be punished the same as one that's thirty yards off but it led to this kind of kinder, gentler setup and i and i that you know in parallel they went to these new venues like chambers and aaron hills and um you know what tigers asking for a return to the traditional u s open which suited him well and um I think that it's, it's valid, you know, Brandel Chamblee wants the same setup. I mean, the U S open had an identity and it's been lost a little bit now, as we saw at Beth page, very narrow fairways, very thick, rough can lead to kind of a boring plodding kind of golf. But I guess that's what the Open's supposed to be about. So, um, it was, as you say, each of these comments had a, had a little different feel, a little different content. But when you when you add that to the hundred other guys who are complaining, the the nuance gets lost, and it's just a bunch of tour players complaining nonstop. And I guess that's that's where I've I've sort of had my fill.
1: Hey, Alan, if I asked you to name the single most iconic U.S. Open golf course in the United States, what would you cite?
0: Well, of course, everyone knows I'm a Pebble Beach homer, and because of the roll call of champions and jacks one iron and and watson's chip in and tigers dominant performance in 2000 i would probably vote for pebble beats although oakmont or or wingfoot might be really the the quintessential just ball busting setup and and that look of the traditional old course the the stately clubhouse i mean in some ways those places reek of the open more than pebble and they were hosting it long before 1972 but i do think that in my mind it's pebble beach uh, partly because it's the most democratic of all the championships through the open qualifying process and of course pebble beach anybody can play in preparation for this podcast i i took my my puppy monty for a walk on the lynx this morning and it's today is the wednesday before the u.s open and there's everyday play this is the last day that they're letting Regular golfers go out there and play, so there's 25 handicappers out there trying to battle the rough. And on one level, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, you, you wish they would shut it down sooner, so they they could get the course in a plus shape. But it's also very cool. I mean, eight days later, the U.S. Open starts, and you've got everyday golfers playing the the course. And we know that's not going to happen at, at Oakmont, and it's not going to happen at Wingfoot, and it's not going to happen at Shinnecock Hills. And it's part of what makes Pebble Beach very special. So um i guess i guess I'm, I'm voting for pebble even though you can you can you can argue against it what would your answer
1: be well i think you made a great case for pebble and uh and i i agree with that to everything you said including the part that it only goes back to 1972 so if i was going to cite the most iconic of u.s open uh, golf courses I, I i would start with uh i would start with oakmont and maybe then maybe a, a a, a not Shinnecock Hills as well, but just to focus on, on Oakmont for a minute. So when Tiger talks about, you know, let's go back to U.S. Opens as they used to be, used to be. well, there's no going back to Oakmont because they got rid of thousands of trees there and they've made it, you know, it's just a barren field of rough and nasty bunkers and extremely fast undulating, undulating greens. So Oakmont's Oakmont, but it's... A, Except for that, it's a very different Oakmont now than it was when Johnny Miller won there uh, in 73. It's a completely different golf course. So uh, to, to this broad question of what are we going to go back to, you can't go back because the trees are gone at Oakmont. If that is, you know, you identify, you and I have identified as, you know, one of the one or two or three most quintessential U.S. Open courses, uh, where does that really leave? the USGA to take uh, US Opens to even if you wanted to go back to a traditional uh, tr- tree-lined golf course. And by the way, Shinnecock Hills is the same. Shinnecock Hills was never a Lynx course, as it's sometimes aver- advertised to be. It's a it's a sui generis uh, piece of land, but it had trees on it, and now it basically doesn't. Pebble has some trees, not many at all. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so this so this notion of what you know, Ben Hogan U.S. Open golf was, Jack Nicklaus U.S. Open golf was, and what is actually available now uh, at at the highest levels of demanding golf are just uh, are just uh, uh, very different things, um, and uh, and and it's a problem. How, what do you feel about the Alan about the broad idea of having? fewer courses in a U.S. Open rotation, how that might, because what we're really talking about here is, has the U.S. Open lost its identity? Uh, the players are starting to say that. The public probably hasn't fully grasped that, but maybe has just on instinct alone. Um, if 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 you agree with that as a problem, what do you think the solution is to, uh, solution is to that?
0: Yeah, I go back and forth on that because Chambers Bay, while the course was a love it or hate it, and some people hated it, you among them, I loved it. And we know we know there was a lot of controversy around the setup. But it was incredible to take the Open to the Northwest, and the crowds are phenomenal, and the energy, and what a beautiful part of the country. And it's hard to say that an, an entire region doesn't deserve a U.S. Open uh, if you limit it to just a, you know, a handful of courses and there's a lot of fans who are never going to get to experience us open. And it is, it is supposed to belong to all of us on some level. So I go back and forth. Um, but when you go to a new course, it it can be a disaster and Aaron Hills just did not play like a us open. And we can all agree with that. The wind didn't blow, whatever. Um, I'm kind of tired of hearing that because sometimes the wind doesn't blow. It's also when people say, Oh, it would have been different if it was played firm. Well, It's an outdoor sport in the summertime in in hot climates it's usually going to rain so you can't count on firm conditions either it's a bonus when you get them but um you know at the same time the the crowds in wisconsin were amazing and it was really cool to bring the us Open to the heartland like that so
1: um, there's a lot to be said for that and what about and of course this is in the us open i'm talking about the, the crowds in st louis for that pga championship where it was 100 degrees last summer they could not have been more into that event. Uh, and we've seen it. Uh, we've seen that Hazeltine uh, uh, too. So there is a lot to be said for, for moving things, things, things around. But having said that, I, I think part of the identity problem is that we're going to golf courses. We don't know. Well, the players don't know. Well, the public doesn't know well, and the USG actually doesn't know doesn't know well. And uh, uh, certainly the British open uh, uh, doesn't, doesn't have that, doesn't have that problem. Well,
0: and to take this this even further, uh, last week I was in Los Angeles and I, I sneaked out and played LA North for the first time, which is going to host the 2023 um, U.S. Open. And it is a phenomenal golf course. It is just going to be a wonderful venue. And you're right in the heart of West LA. It, it should have a great atmosphere. It's it's a very old school kind of place. And it's hard to say that LA North shouldn't have a U.S. Open. Um, but you know, I, if you, if on the other hand, if you just said, okay, we're going to play, it's going to be a five-year rotation. We're going to go to Pebble, to Pinehurst, to Wingfoot, to Shinnecock and to Oakmont. I think people in some ways would be pleased with that. You've got, you would still be getting a cross section of geography and you would take away a lot of the, the unknowables when, when you go to a new venue and presumably they could fine tune this stuff to perfection but i don't know if those clubs want want to be used that often i mean we know that the u.s open really affects that the members and in the case of pebble beach the everyday the everyday public but um it's it's kind of a, a a fun idea to think about a tight rotation and to have a real rhythm to the u.s open and help help bring back that identity these very iconic courses so I, I could probably be talked into, to a lot of different ways to, to handle the open, uh, uh, you know, pebbles, certainly an anchor. I mean, they come back every 10 years and that's a good thing. Um, uh, but it, it, it's a tough question. I mean, the, and the, obviously the USGA grappled with it because they don't seem like they're in a hurry to go back to Chambers Bay or Aaron Hills now. And, um, and so I think, I think maybe they're, they're kind of realizing, all right, we tried, it was, a, it was a, worth, a worthwhile experiment and, and now we're going to move on from it. So the the future venues you know once you get into the mid twenty twenties, it's gonna be very interesting to see where they take the tournament because it's a fundamental question to the identity of the open and then i think they're they're still trying to talk about it like we are right now
1: when you um when you say uh sneak out to la north sneak out or sneak on
0: no i i was i was uh a i was welcomed by the membership and the leadership of the club um uh, uh so no it, I'd played it 20 years ago and I just remember it was a hard golf course and it wasn't that memorable, but you know, Gil and our, our fellow typist, uh, Jeff Shackelford, they've, they've come in and, and really brought so much character that the greens are phenomenal. And you went, when I, you know, when you drive around West LA, you think of it as pretty flat, but the, it's an incredible piece of ground. I mean, there's, there's a lot of movement. There's these arroyos that wind through the, the course. Um, just, just some, like the third hole, the part this par four going up the hill. It's one of, one of the coolest holes I've played in a really long time, just because of the movement of the land. And, um, there's, there's a bunch of them like that. So it, it's, it's a tremendous golf course. I can't wait for that U S open. And, um, but there'll be, there'll be a lot of trepidation about how, how the USJ is going to handle it. I mean, uh, it, it's kind of unique grasses in, in that part of Los Angeles and, um, it's, you know, they they swore up and down they weren't gonna mess up Shinnecock Hills and they kinda of did on that Saturday, even though I think we both know it really came down to two pin positions or a couple yards in the wrong direction. And otherwise the setup was was really good. But
1: um it, I mean, the, the players finding play it out to sound like it was a clown's nose position. It was just it was slightly off, it wasn't ideal. You still could putt the ball in the direction of the hole. Uh you know, and tap in, I mean, that they made it sound crazily inappropriate. It wasn't crazily inappropriate. And then, and then the USGA apologizing for it actually ratcheted up their criticism and legitimized, legitimized their criticism. When, you know, Hogan, Nelson and Tiger, had he been around, uh, uh, they, they, they wouldn't have, uh, I don't think it would have bothered to uh, to say a thing just to go back to la north for a second i uh, i only have played it uh since since gill and, and and jeff been through it i think it's absolutely spectacular and you know the line i've been using if you like pine valley and you and like Augusta national you're going to love this place but and i think this is a very significant but this is not tiger Woods's definition of traditional u.s open golf uh you know it's another golf course that really is going to depend on bunkering and to some degree rough or to a significant degree rough rather than uh driving it between uh you know and and avoiding trees um uh, well, and
0: yeah it has a very expansive very expansive feel i mean there's some some double fairways like when you when you tee off on on ten and even one and eighteen
1: it's wide it's wide it's wide it's wide wide it's a wide golf course and uh and i think that Really, that's the word. That's uh, where the USGA has gotten away from wide and chipping areas. That was not. That is not traditional U.S. Open golf. You know, to use the word our colleague Dylan uses, a uh, U.S. Open golf is supposed to be hot narrow corridors, uh, or maybe not supposed. Is not the right but that's traditionally uh, what it is. Uh, but having said that, the whole world is turned into a TV show, and the USGA, like the rest of the world, is very aware of. Ratings, 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 and uh, that kind of tree-lined uh, narrow corridor course where you hack it out if you miss a fairway can lead to some very boring golf and uh, and some uh, and some boring winners. If you think Hale Irwin is a boring winner, no, I don't think he is because um, he's doing what he, he's doing something on such an extremely high level. But you have to be sort of a purist to appreciate what that what that high level is.
0: Yeah, and I think. It, it's also interesting because I think Beth Page has put a lie to the, the notion that if you have really narrow fairways and really long roughs, it, it takes the the driver out of the hands of the power players and they have to be really cautious and they have to hit irons off the tee. Um, in reality, that setup still favors bomb and gouge because the Brooks Kepkas and the Dustin Johnsons are still going to smash driver and they're so good that most of the time it's going to be in the fairway. And then they have a huge advantage because they can hit the fairways and they're 50 yards ahead of, of the guys who are, you know, throttling back a little bit. And then if they missed the a fairway, they're still close enough to the green and they still have enough speed and power that they can get up on the putting surface. And so there's, it's not an accident that those two guys are at the top of the leaderboard They're state of the art, as far as power players go. And
1: Whereas, and if you're... it's no accident that that the course quite caught up, caught up with Harold Varner uh, over time. It, it was well, right. It was bound to. You know, there's there's fourth round nerves as well in last group and all that. But yeah. it just wasn't long enough to compete on that course for for, for four days. And I think that's very true. You no, know, when they go to it, you know, the uh, the Torrey Pines course certainly is not a quote classic U.S. Open golf course. But they have had uh, you know uh, they an extremely interesting U.S. Open there. And it's the hokiest of reasons, but except for, you could say, Gus National, back nine especially, is, is really the uh, the same exact thing. There's, as Reese Jones says, there's one thing. The uh, There's two things that the pros can't recover from. They can't recover from out-of-bounds, and they can't recover from water. If that ball's in the water, it's in the water. If the ball's out-of-bounds, it's out-of-bounds. But those are kind of lousy obstacles. But viewed that way, um, uh, it, it doesn't leave that many options if you really are held, Ben, and we haven't really touched on this part, of having something in the vicinity of 280 be your winning score, uh, then what are you going to do to get the, get the winning score uh, around there? Uh, there's water hazards in OB. That's, you know, you've, you've already made a good case for why rough is meaningless. Uh, narrow is almost meaningless. So that kind of just leaves the shape of holes and water, which doesn't exist on, on these traditional golf courses anyhow. And out of bounds, which which is lousy, which is all kind of a segue uh, uh, to my theory here, which would never happen. Theory is not the right word, but uh, the future of challenge could be the past, which is much more penal fairway bunkers, as you see at uh, at Pine Valley from start to finish, and as you really saw on the fifth hole at Augusta National this year, where we saw Tiger make uh, bogey. Uh, what four straight days? Um, and it was, and the reason he made bogey four straight days was those fairway bunkers were in his head the second he put that ball on the peg,
0: yeah. And that's how those, those, the links courses at the open championship survive is all those pot bunkers because you just can't hit it in there. And so, even though those courses play so short, they, they still present, they still ask questions off the tee. You, you can, you can lay like Carnoustie was cool because there was three ways. To play every tee shot you could just you could hit you know a four iron and let and just make sure that you're short of the bunkers no matter what or you could hit say a a three wood and try and and try and fit it in between or you could hit driver and try and take it over them and every single hole you had you had these options and these choices and that's why it was so fun to watch um
1: the well you know yes uh absolutely it's true and uh you know when 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 Tiger went at Hoylick when Tiger went at St. Andrews, I, I, I may be off here a little bit. I think possibly he never hit a tee shot into a trap uh, over the course of those 144 holes. Uh, do you happen yeah. to have that accurate? I,
0: I think that's right. And whereas like Beth page, there was only, there was only one play off the tee smash driver, try and get in the fairway. But if not, at least you're closer to the green to try and recover. You know, there was no thought that there was no strategy. There was no, uh, there was, there was no question being asked of the players just swing away and that that's that's the problem with with these really rough draped narrow setups is that it leads to it's just there's no choice to make you just try and smash it and, and if you get in the fairway that's great and if not you still hack you still hack it towards the green i mean rough rough is still a is still a problem but it's more for the average length hitter then, then they're in real trouble because they have a five iron <clears throat> into the green and they can't they can't get it out of the grass. So a lot different if you have a wedge. So uh, it's I think when you know Pebble Beach is not the monster that Beth Page was. You know, it's five iron Um So th- it'll be slightly different in that you can hit different clubs off the tee because you don't, you don't length is not an imperative on a lot of the holes. It's really going to be more of an interesting test. And I'm looking forward to that. I mean, you take, you know, the third hole, you guys, if you want to hit drive around the corner and, and try and have a little flip wedge in and make it a birdie, you can, if if you want to, if you want to hit two iron out into the short grass and, and have a, an eight iron in, that's, that's your option as well. Um, so there's, Pebble will be more interesting to watch than, than Beth page, but it's still the the U S open is it's, I think the, the fundamental challenge of just long, rough and narrow fairways doesn't really exist in the way that it used to, because the guys are, are so incredibly long that it's just not, it's not the penalty that it once was. And, and as you say, I, I actually not...
1: feel bad for the USJ because, uh, <laughs> They have a conundrum from which there is absolutely no simple answer, uh, and the conundrum, I think, is essentially this: uh, they've 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 approved all the super high tech hot equipment that has fundamentally uh, changed the game at at the elite level. Uh, they they didn't have the resources. Uh, to fight those advances uh, against the manufacturers uh, at the time, uh, maybe that's an oversimplification or not. Um, so they've got that going on on the on on the one side of the ledger and the other side of the ledger, they no matter what they say, I don't care what they say, they do want to protect par as a uh, as, as a meaningful number. Um, but they can't. Uh, so that would leave. Taking, uh, you know, an RNA approach, whereas, you know, we don't care if you won with 260, uh, just go out there and, and, and play the golf course. Um, the USJ doesn't have that mindset. And that's part of what made the US Open, the US Open in the first place. Uh, and um,
0: well, it'd be easy to feel sorry. No, I mean, everything you say is, is correct. It just would be easier to feel sorry for them if they didn't have the power to regulate the equipment. I mean, they, they were just asleep at the wheel as the game fundamentally changed, and this it happened on their watch.
1: Yeah, see, I, I, do you think that was fundamentally the issue that they were asleep with the wheel, or that they were, or they were afraid that the manufacturers they knew that the manufacturers had all the power, had all the lobbying, had all the had all the lawyers, and were going to and were going to stop them if they could. I mean, they saw what happened in the Carson Solheim, uh, uh pink suit in the in the eighties. I thought that w- I think that sort of showed them. Really, where the uh, where where the power the was, in, in, in those kinds of just dis-
0: yes, but that was when that that was when the USGA was basically penniless. Now they've got this fox deal. They they could fight these things out if they had the stomach for it. But uh, I,
1: you, you know, know, that fox deal was was way you know the the horse was way out of the barn by that point.
0: Well, that's true. But if they wanted to bifurcate, or they wanted to to bring a a, a ball that flies shorter. You know, a sort of mandate. I mean, they are in a position to put some of the toothpaste back in the, in the tube, but you know, they have they have these little rinky-dink tests they do with the driver and the ball, and they say, no, we have we have a, a distance cap, and it's only gone up X number of yards. But that's a robot that's swinging it. It's not Dustin Johnson. Like they have fundamentally misunderstood how all these players are optimizing their performance through diet through the gym, through, through track man tuning, through the marriage of shaft ball and club head. And so I do think that, that they just didn't quite grasp how the players were chasing distance. And, and then you have these little breakthroughs, like, you know, now Callaway's using AI to design their, their driver faces and, and all these things that they, you know, they, they couldn't really predict. And, um, so if if you ask the USGA driving distance has only gone up a little bit, but we know that's not true. And then you, you get these freakish athletes like a cam champ. Um, and they they can take the approved equipment and do things with it that people never dreamed of. So um, it was a lack of imagination. Right.
1: right. It, it, you know, they, it's almost an insult to tell us that driving distance is not, uh, not, not increased. I mean, we can all, we can all see it. Uh, they're not fooling. They're 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 not they're not fooling anybody. You know, well, they're they, fooling
0: themselves. They're fooling themselves because that that be, that's their talking point. Is hey, it's only gone up a little bit. Everything's fine. But meanwhile, everything's on fire around them. So, it's. Um,
1: you know, I don't know if you were, if you were if you were a thirty year old elite golfer who had who had won on tour and had not won any majors. How would you rank the? Uh, how would you rank the majors and which ones you would want to win the most?
0: Well, we all know the Masters is number one. Um, I think the PGA Championship is always going to, for now, is going to be fourth, but the date change is going to help elevate it in people's eyes. And it, uh, but for now, I, I think Masters is one, PGA is four. And then whether you, w- which Open, how you rank it, depends on where you're from and, and who you idolize growing up. But, I mean, for me, I'd rather win the Open Championship. Uh, I think it's, it's, a more, it's more iconic. It's a worldwide event. Uh, going back a hundred years and I love the playing fields. I love everything about it. Um, and, you know, I think the U S open has lost some of its mystique for the reasons we've already touched on. So um, that would, that would be my order. How about you?
1: Well, you know, I mean, I've had this conversation with, with Arnold, with Jack, with Curtis strange, you know, so that re- Tom Watson. So that represents, you know, a, a lot of different years and they all know, of course they're all, you know, Hall of Fame American golfers, uh, but they all grew up with the notion that I grew up with having been born in 1960, that the U S open was the king of the majors because, uh, it was the legacy of Hogan. It was, it's the most demanding tester of your golfing skill period. Uh, and as big Jacko would always say, you know, the, 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 masters was just a nice golfing get together. Uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, it, it didn't really have the same stature. Now that, of course, has all changed, and part of it is how the Masters presents itself on TV as compared to the British Open and the uh, and, and and the U.S. Open. Uh, so, as the culture the culture has changed, and uh, the way we respond to golf tournaments have changed, and this ranking has changed. And I would say now, j- just from my own view, I probably, as a kid, I would have gone U.S. Open, British Open, Masters. Uh, now we probably go Masters, British Open, U.S. Open, uh, and that—that's the competitive nature of the world. You know that that things change in their uh, in their ranking, and then you know there there's personal tastes. You know, uh, are, are you a, are you a Phil guy or a Tiger guy? Are you a uh, are you a Herb Wynn guy or a Dan Jenkins guy? I mean, it's always going to be, you know, you're always going to—they're all great, but you're going to cho- you know you're going to choose one one or the other just to based on your own uh, uh, preferences, but, uh, uh, I'm worried. I'm actually worried for the USGA because I think it's very important for the USGA to enjoy a high status in the game. Uh, and this kind of gets back to the, uh, to the first point we we're making when, 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 when Phil will just step up there, uh, you know, several weeks before a couple of weeks before us open and just rip the host, which is what they are. Who has done, and the host, the USA, has done nothing but enrich Phil's life in the sense that he's a U.S. amateur winner. And uh, these six runner-ups, even though they've been painful, uh, as you and I've written, it probably reveals something about how close Phil is to being truly, truly great. Um, it's it's a very uh, it's just weirdly it's it's weird and complicated. There's no simple answer here, as I think we're finding in this conversation.
0: Well, I mean it's that's what makes this open so important to the usga that they have an iconic venue they can't screw it up they need a good winner although frankly the winner's been very good the last uh x number of years but the us opens at a crossroads i don't think there's any question about that and we, we need a we need a great national championship free of controversy and complaining and just celebrate the golf and the golfers and that would be that would be a good step you know go back to Wingfoot next year as discussed it's it's one of the great venues and and then are off and running i mean fingers crossed you know i'm walking around pebble beach this morning it looks so pure by california drought standards we had a pretty wet spring the the rough is thick and juicy the greens are, are a lovely shade of green which is refreshing for this tournament so um i'm i'm hopeful as a golf fan as a local as, as a pebble beach honk that it'll be a, it'll be a great tournament and uh, we've certainly given the the listeners things to think about as they're watching it. So we could go through and the. Conclu- May I conclude with this question now? Yes, please.
1: What 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 was your route to Pebble Beach with the pooch today? Where did you park and where did you walk? Park? Are you crazy man! Uh, walk just
0: walk down Pebble, walk down Carmel Beach, and then scramble up, up the cliffs right there.
1: From your, you could walk from your house to Carmel Beach.
0: <laughs> okay, well you can. It's a long walk, and unfortunately it's uphill the whole way home. So let let me let me clarify i drove to carmel beats and then i parked but at, the, at that point i walked across the sand and then down on 10th fairway you can just scramble up the bluff and it's early enough at you know 8:30 after dropping my kids at school that there's there's really nobody on the golf course at that point they're all on the front nine so so monty and i took a peek at uh, walked all the way over to arrowhead point where where you know six and seven and eight are and and walked back. And it was, I mean, it's one of the world's greatest strolls for sure. And it was, it was neat to feel the grass under my feet and to to really see the empty golf course. So it's, it's pure, it's, it's ready.
1: And um, you know, I, I, not that I care. I'm just curious. Did they actually allow dog walking on the golf course?
0: It's kind of a gray area because it's, it's public access. You know, the California coast is open to all they, they don't, there are little trail markers like down by the fourth fairway. There's the whole sign for public access. As long as you stay on the cart path and, and you, you don't really interfere, I've, I've never been hassled there. I have taken my kids at times and they're doing cartwheels down the fairway. And, you know, you can get a little sting guy, but um, there's a lot of dogs out there. I mean, you, if you, if you go that time in the morning, you'll, you'll see a dozen people walking their dogs or jogging. And, uh, it's, I think I think it's it's one of those things where if if you're not if you're not creating any problems you're not going to get any problems. So I don't I don't even know what the, the letter of the law is, but plenty of people do it, and uh, it's it's really a delightful way to start the day.
1: Well, that's neat. Well, look just look forward to seeing you out there.
0: We will certainly do a Sunday night podcast, maybe from my living room, possibly from somewhere a little more atmospheric to to put a bow on on this national championship. So signing off from Carmel, California, and Philadelphia pennsylvania this is alan shipnuck and michael babberger thanks for listening and we will do it again soon bye-bye